Hello and welcome to the Veterinary Secrets Podcast. My name is Dr. Andrew Jones and this is episode 31. In today's episode, I'm going to discuss how to incorporate herbs into treating your dog or cat. I'm going to talk about constipation cures and lastly talk about toxic xylitol, how it's now in peanut butter. Veterinary Secrets is now on iTunes. You can just go to iTunes and search for Veterinary Secrets. We're also on Stitcher. Just go ahead and download the Stitcher app and search for Veterinary Secrets. Definitely it. I would appreciate it if you would subscribe to my podcast and leave a review. You can do so on iTunes or Stitcher. And once again, if you have any questions or comments, feel free either you can send me an email. That's at podcast at veterinarysecrets.com. Or you can post a comment after this podcast post. I put every podcast up on my blog. And the blog is theinternetpetvet.com. Or you can just search for Dr. Andrew Jones' blog. Let's get right into today's podcast. How to incorporate herbs in treating your dog or cat. Well, if your dog or cat is ill, the conventional treatment is often to administer some type of medication that's going to provide immediate relief. With holistic healing, the focus is very much different. So what we're doing is we're focusing on re-establishing balance. Just think about wellness. The aim is to support your pet's natural healing processes, not just going after the symptoms. You know, many of our modern medicine, it's originated from plants. You know, Aboriginal peoples, they relied exclusively on plants as a source of healing. For centuries, physicians used herbs for healing, and it's only been comparatively recent in times that modern drugs have replaced some of these ancient recipes. Now, as we've got side effects of some drugs becoming apparent, there's a growing movement towards the use of remedies concocted from fresh herbs, many of which we, we can find growing, you know, wild right in our backyards. And dandelion comes to immediate relief or burdock. So what about herbs as alternatives to conventional medication? Where they're safe, gentle medicines with a much greater margin of error and fewer side effects than many of the conventional medications. There are some people that claim that herbal medicines are less effective and unsafe because of low amounts of the active ingredients. Yet, in general, herbs are actually safer as the ingredients of the whole plant they work together. This makes the whole plant more effective than just its individual components. An example of this is white willow. Willow contains the same active ingredient found in aspirin. In taking the herb white willow, dogs seldom develop side effects of vomiting or diarrhea. Yet, with the non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs such as aspirin, this is not uncommon. What are some points to keep in mind if you're trying to directly compare herbs and conventional drugs? Keep a few points in mind. You'll find that in general, herbs are slower acting than most drugs, and for specific conditions, don't expect the herb to be more effective than a related drug. What are some additional points? Herbs are best used to nourish the body and support and strengthen the natural body function, such as helping have the liver be more effective, detoxifying that liver, helping that kidney function much more effectively. The whole plant is generally greater and safer than the sum of parts. You still need to be aware of possible side effects, drug interactions, and herbs to avoid in certain conditions. An example of this is being in pregnancy. So you do need to handle them with care. Dosages. So in general, as I give you different remedies for different diseases, I'm going to give you the exact amount as far as what you should give. But in general, you always want to watch your pet closely during treatment, be aware of the side effects and potential interactions, and change the dose if needed. As a generality, to increase a dose, increase it by 10% a day to a maximum of 50% above the suggested dose. If there's a reaction of any kind, you want to cut the dose down by 50%. If the reaction happens again, then obviously stop immediately. And obviously, if you're not sure, discuss this with your veterinarian. You don't need to feel like you need to go out with this on, on your own. Duration of therapy is a general rule. You can treat your dog or cat for five days on, then two days off, and then assess you know, how they're responding to treatment. I also advise that you keep detailed records, 
And as part of my blog, I've got a PDF where I'm discussing one, the at-home pet health exam, and two, you know, how I suggest you keep progress notes, how you're recording the changes and how your dog or cat is responding to the, to the treatment with the herbs. The goal of using herbs is to enable your pet's body to ultimately heal itself. To see how to incorporate herbal healing, let's look at the example of a dog with chronic allergies. So allergies are caused by a variety of things. The most common causes are food, atopy, environmental allergies, and parasites. This then produces the second signs of chronic itching, infected skin, red lesions, pustules, thickened blackened skin, ear infections, and chronic paw licking. Antibiotic and steroid therapies may make the symptoms disappear, but the underlying cause will continue and the disease may be pushed just deeper into your pet's body to result in a much more serious disorder over time. All forms of chronic skin disease have two things in common. In general, when all are almost always connected to diet, and two, all are less likely to occur in animals who have a healthy gastrointestinal tract with good waste elimination and strong immune systems. So tonic herbs are used to gently support your pet's cleansing systems. It makes it much easier for your dog or cat to heal themselves. So one, there's a basic formula for chronic skin problems. It includes two parts burdock root, one part dandelion, one part red clover, one part garlic. You can make it as a tincture, as a tea, or pressed juice of the fresh herb. In addition, you can add in flaxseed oil, evening primrose oil, borage seed oil, fish oil, or a prepared multi-essential fatty acid supplement. So these are the essential fatty acids, which should be fed along with this formula. We're looking at a dose of one tablespoon per 40 pounds of your pet's body weight daily. And what the tonic is doing is assisting your pet's organ functions and help optimize the absorption of needed nutrients. What about some herbal symptomatic relief? For animals with itchy skin, you can use an oatmeal-based shampoo. Peppermint or lavender skin rinse is is another option to help relieve the itching. If the itching is associated with minor redness, a daily skin rinse of cooled chamomile, plantain, or calendula tea can bring relief. You can completely soak your pet with the tea and allow, allow them then to drip dry. If scabs or sores are present, try combining calendula and comfrey with sage or thyme tea in equal proportions. When cooled and used as a rinse, it will speed up the healing process and can help prevent and treat some of those minor bacterial infections. If there's a bigger bacterial skin infection, you can use internal doses of echinacea tincture and use external doses of herbs such as echinacea, organ grape, or golden seal in tincture or salve format. For severe itching, using internal doses of licorice can can bring relief. Licorice can help boost production of corticosteroids in the body and provide direct and anti-inflammatory help. But you want to use licorice only for short-term inflammatory flare-up. So there it is, kind of a brief overview. But as you can see, there's a multitude of herbs that can be effective for obviously um, treating your dogs or cat. And in particular, if you've got a pet that's got chronic allergies. Let's get into the second part of today's podcast. And we're going to talk about constipation, constipation cures. So what are some of the signs? You've got difficult, infrequent, or absent bowel movements, including dry hard stools, straining when trying to defecate. Some dogs may also pass mucus when they attempt to defecate. What causes it? Too much or too little fiber in your pet's diet. Typically that would be too little, lack of exercise, blocked anal glands, an enlarged prostate gland, excessive self-grooming which can cause large amounts of hair to collect in the stool, matted hair around the anus from lack of grooming or obesity. Your dog or cat can ingest things that's going to obstruct them, you know, such as moderate sized bits of bone for instance 
stones. It could be gravel, stones, etc. Masses or tumors can obstruct uh, the intestinal tract, the gastrointestinal tract, leading to constipation, trauma to the pelvis, side effects of medication. Um, there can be specific orthopedic or neurologic problems. And in some cases, just dehydration itself will really dry out the stool, leading to constipation. In cats, there's a kid condition called obstipation or megacolon. Obstipation refers to prolonged constipation. In some cats, megacolon develops in which the large intestine, that's the last part of the intestine, becomes very enlarged and filled with this hard fecal matter. In some people, I remember being first in veterinary practice feeling a cat that was had megacolon. You actually think there's a tumor of some type. Is that a ma- enlarged liver in the end of the abdomen? And it's just enlarged, enlarged, firm fecal material because the cat has megacolon. So what causes it? There are multiple causes, and over two-thirds of the cases, the, the condition is called idiopathic, meaning there's no underlying cause. We just know there's some type of abnormality that's leading um, to a, a motility problem within the colon itself. It dilates and stretches, and you've got this megacolon. And other causes could be similar. You've got pelvic injuries, nerve damage, Damage, or then these spinal cord deformities, which you'll see in these cats with these short tails, such as these manxes. So what are some of the risk factors? Constipation megacolon can be seen in cats of any age, breed, or gender, but they're more commonly seen in middle-aged cats, domestic short hair cats. Obesity may adversely affect the course of the disease. So how can you tell if your pet is constipated or obstipated? I mean, as you said, you're just going to see them straining. If your dog does not have a bowel movement in over two days, or if he strains, crouches, or cries out when he's attempting to defecate, likely they are constipated. Um, so your choices then are seeing your veterinarian immediately or looking at some of these remedies which we're going to discuss. You want to first make sure that they really are, they're straining, and it's straining not because they can't defecate as opposed to having a urinary tract problem. So if you've got you know, a male cat and he's really, really straining, more likely that you're dealing with a urinary tract disease. You want to be really clear first before you start going down uh, the treatment ladder. If you're unsure at all, go see your veterinarian. So what are some of the solutions? First, you can look at add, adding in additional dietary it's key to having normal stools. For dogs, ground flaxseed it is a great source. I dose it at one teaspoon per cup of dog food. Metamucil is another effective source. You can give a half a teaspoon per 10 pounds of body weight daily. It can be made tastier by adding it to canned foods. For cats, the most successful remedy I've used is canned pumpkin. I give one tablespoon twice daily, and I've found that several cats are just happily willing to eat it. Hydrate. Ensuring that there is more than adequate fluid intake. You may have to add water into your dog's dry food. If your cat is reluctant to drink water, you know, try adding in some tuna juice regularly providing fresh clean water for cats prone to constipation it's wise to feed only canned food because we know there's so much more additional fluid in that canned food so this is increasing their fluid intake and often this can then result in normal stools and often i would get clients to actually add in start just switching to canned food and adding in that canned pumpkin exercise regular exercise gets the bowels moving if you're if you're off schedule not giving your dog his morning walks Again, back on, get back on schedule. If your cat is not an outdoor cat, then you know try and get toys to get encouraging to, to run around. Regardless, that's going to get their bowels more regular. You can look at adding something sim- simple like Vaseline. It's a very safe laxative. And I've used it in the compounds to prevent hairballs in cats. I'm dosing it at one teaspoon twice daily per 10 pounds for three to five days. Vitamin C, it's another laxative when given at higher dose. So if you're looking at a a typical dose would be about 100 to 200 milligrams. So twice daily per 10 pounds of body weight daily. Obviously, seeing your veterinarian, you know, if you're not sure, is your pet really constipated or not? Is this a urinary tract condition? If you're not sure at all, seeing your veterinarian, that just needs to be restated. Some of the herbal remedies, there's one 
which combines cascara, ginger, and licorice. So these herbs can be given in a combined formulation. And the dose is 0.2 mils twice daily per 10 pounds of body weight. There's another tonic formula which seems to help get the digestion moving. includes dandelion, Oregon grape, fennel, and flaxseed. You can also make it as a tea. As a tea, the dose would be one teaspoon twice daily, or as a tincture, it's one mil per 20 pounds of body weight twice daily. La- there, lastly, there's a homeopathic called Nux Vomica. It's been especially helpful with cats. It's helped to correct energy imbalance in the intestines that lead to constipation. You'd be looking at a dose of 130C twice daily for seven days. Uh, a couple men- men- mentions about some of the conventional treatments. So especially if you've got a cat that's got megacolon, he's got obstipation megacolon, you're going to need to be looking at some conventional meds along with canned food, along with that canned pumpkin. So one, there's a stool softener called Lactulose. Essentially, it's a really sweet, sweet, high-concentrated sugar very safe given lots works really well the second one there's a conventional medication called cisapride it's a motility modifier so what it's doing is actually getting that colon to contract and what i found if we could get those cats on that medication regularly that was then enough to at least keep them more normalized not leading to obstipation and then having to come into the veterinary clinic having some kind of fairly serious anima so now let's get on to the last part of today's podcast, talking about xylitol, which is now in peanut butter. Thousands of dogs each year are poisoned with xylitol. Xylitol is a sugar-free alcohol used in many products, including sugar-free baked goods, candy, oral hygiene products, you know, such as mouthwash and chewing gum. It is the second most common ingredient that is poisoning our dogs, a sugar substitute. Not only is it found in sugar-free gum, it's also in veterinary dog mouthwashes and now peanut butter. It's found in, spe- in several specialty peanut nut butter brands, nuts and more crush nutrition p28 foods all make peanut butter and nut butter spreads containing the ingredient so what are some of the effects of xylitol low blood sugar hypoglycemia in dogs the pancreas confuses xylitol with real sugar the result is that the blood sugar levels rapidly drop resulting in weakness disorientation tremors and potential seizures it only takes a few sticks of gum a 10 pound dog can be poisoned by as little as a stick and a half of gum symptoms typically begin with within 30 minutes and can last for more than 12 hours Vomiting and diarrhea can also occur. Then also, even more serious, you can also see liver damage, hepatic necrosis. In this case, much more gum is ingested or much more xylitol is ingested, approximately 10 times the amount that causes hypoglycemia. So, for example, a 10-pound dog would be be required to ingest an entire pack of the gum. As far as the amount of peanut butter, I'm not sure. It's obviously based on the concentration of that xylitol. But then there's an actual destruction of liver tissue. Signs will take longer to show up, typically 8 to 12 hours, and not all dogs that that have liver damage will experience this low blood sugar hypoglycemia first. So some won't have these signs of low blood sugar, but then 8 to 12 hours later, you know, the next few days become ill. In some dogs, there's only mild signs, while with other dogs, a complete and acute liver care, liver, liver failure can result with death. In turn, there can be internal bleeding and inability of the blood to clot. It's also known as DIC. The ideal treatment is to induce vomiting after consumption within 30 minutes. After that time, treatment involves supportive care, you know, such as IV fluids. So what can you do? First of all, inform other dog owners. Many of us use peanut butter in training. You know, stick to something like Kong toys or treats. Read the label. If you're going to use peanut butter, make sure it's a natural peanut butter, one that's not artificially sweetened. Beware. Be, be, know about the signs of xylitol toxicity and just let other people know. It's in that sugar-free gum. It takes very little to cause signs of hypoglycemia and low blood sugar. 
avoid anything that sh- that could contain xylitol. Um, and, and I personally would avoid the, the sugar-free dog dental rinses of Aquadent by Verbac, Breathalyzer Plus by Siva. Go ahead, feel free to let companies though you don't you don't approve of having this art- toxic artificial sweetener in their products that they're marketing to dog and cat to dog owners and obviously cat owners. And then consider trying so many of the safe for natural alternatives instead. So for instance, you know you don't need to necessarily have that you know fancy veterinary dental mouthwash. Look at having something natural where you're just brushing your dog's teeth. The use of you know, these these big femur bones. Well, thank you for listening to today's podcast. We've come to the end of it now. If you have any questions, I love to hear them. You can just post a comment on my blog, the Internet Pet Vet internetpetvet.com you can send me an email that's at podcast at veterinarysecrets.com and thank you if you've yet to subscribe i encourage you to do so It'd be great you can do on i do so on itunes or stitcher once again thanks for listening and i'll be talking to you again next week this is dr andrew jones